Welcome to this week's episode of Raised by Wolves, the podcast. I am your very shocked and still processing what I have just seen host, Holly Fry, and I am so glad you're here to work through this with me. So with our little support group assembled, let's jump right into the five things I cannot stop thinking about from this new episode. Okay, first, we just got a lot of information right out of the gate to kind of give us a sense of where everyone is at as this episode opens. Little did we know that that was because major things were coming down the pike. You know I'm going to get to all of that. But in the space of just a few short minutes at the top of the episode, we got Mother giving Campion the future leader coaching session. We got to see Lucius and Marcus having a very tense interaction while Marcus is searched. And then there was Tempest finding Hunter has his own android craft project in the works. Maybe father started a trend. Now I want to build an android. All the cool kids are doing it, apparently. All right, we have to address what is going on with my precious snake baby. I'm okay. I think something was upsetting it. Get away! You stupid beast! You could have killed him! You're a hundred times larger than he is! I'm sorry. Please don't cry. I'm not gonna hurt you. Why is that little patoot so agitated? I have to wonder if this is the serpent equivalent to the terrible twos or puberty. I don't. We don't know how they're aging. What we do know is that Snake Baby is so sensitive when it comes to Mother scolding it. Listen, I can relate, Snake Baby. Nobody likes to be admonished by an authority figure. I'm very worried about that kid. Uh, okay, so this whole revelation that it turns out that Grandmother was Campion's religious vision in the woods... That's a hell of a thing. But before we really even get a chance to take in that information, we get what we have probably secretly all been hoping for. And that was the matriarchal android hover off. (laughs) These two formidable figures could really make some havoc if things escalate. And listen, I kind of hope they do. Let's see some android throwdown. I can't fucking see you. I can't. I'm sorry, I fucking can't. I'm sorry. Okay, Tempest and the baby. What a journey this character has been on. From Tempest feeling trapped in a pregnancy that she associates with deep trauma, to finding out that the baby's arrival is going to happen sooner than she is ready for, to giving birth alone on that dangerous beach, and then... Okay, I thought that that sea creature was surely going to eat the baby, but then it put it in its own marsupial pouch! What is happening?! And despite Tempest's feelings that she didn't want the child, she then still grieves so deeply over what has happened. This entire arc is really, really heartbreaking, but also, like, virtuoso acting. The sun has sunk, the shadowy night 
is reigning in the room. We pray. We pray to God. His saving light to guide us through the gloom. All right, we're there. Sue is a tree. <laughs> Sue is a tree. But even before that, Sue's drive to get the giant D&D die that contains the seeds, and then her sneaky move to free Marcus and reunite their family... I'll confess, I found it really heartwarming to actually see the three of them together, and that made it that much more upsetting that everything went all body horror, and then Sue is a tree! (laughs) And a tree that bears fruit that looks like viscera. Listen, that's gonna haunt me. That ending to the episode was so intense, and upsetting in a good way, and beautiful, and Thank goodness we have exactly the right person with us this week to help us sort it all out. The actor who plays Sue herself, the fantastic Neve Algar. Since I have you, Neve, the first thing I have to ask, of course, is what it is like to now be a tree. I'll never look at a tree the same way again, that's for sure. <laughs> what? At what point in production or pre-production did you discover that this was going to happen to your character? And what was your reaction to that? So during the very first lockdown, which I think was like back in 2019, I had like a, like a conference Zoom call with Aaron and his team of writers to, you know, he kind of gave us a heads up of what was potentially going to happen in season two. So that was back in 2019. And he just, he started, he opened with, so Sue's going to turn into a tree. And I was like, (laughs) okay. And I was like, what have you been smoking, Aaron, during that lockdown? Because, (laughs) so yeah, I was, I got, I got fair warning. um, And I just replied back and I told him, listen, the very first role I ever played well, I was four years old in preschool and I played a tree in my in my school play. So this has been a role that I've been born to play and one that I've been preparing for my entire life. So, yeah, it's it's come full circle. <laughs> <laughs> That's like deep method when you've lived it your entire life. So your character, Sue, has been on such a wild journey, right? Initially feigning to be a Mithraic to discovering that that entails being a mom as well, and then sort of genuinely coming to care for this, you know, sort of assembled family. And then this season, having to be in a position where that child has kind of rejected you and you have to care for it from a distance. And now, of course, you're a tree. Um, What has been the most challenging part of that character arc for you? And what aspect of it do you like the most or have you enjoyed the most? It's figuring out. It's always that idea of when you get a script and you always have to kind of figure out what is it the character wants? What do they want? And this is, you know, it's like the thing we ask ourselves in life is like, what what do we really want? And so, and it's for Sue as well as like finding her purpose because in season one, you know, she's kind of defined 
by Marcus and then in season sorry season one she's defined by Marcus and it's she's kind of following him on his journey and soon kind of separates so in season two it was really just trying to figure out what the, her purpose was and figuring out kind of who she is because you know what Aaron has created is is someone who has been forced to be something that she's not and then once that is that choice I suppose is kind of given to her of like what is it that she actually wants I don't think she's actually asked that question before to herself so in this kind of season it was like I think it was trying to figure out what it is that that the character wants because I knew where the character was going to go but we didn't have like the, the whole tricky thing is it's like you know where it's going to go and I was told like not to tell anyone so I had that like burning secret <laughs> couldn't tell any of the rest of the cast members because they're like oh I wonder like who's going to die this season and I'm like well I know how I'm going to go and if I tell you how that is everyone's going to be like what so we all kind of had I figure you know we all kind of knew roughly what was going to happen to each of our characters but um so <laughs> for me I was like okay for endpoint is death and you know she's becoming this tree of life tree of knowledge I suppose um what is it that you can kind of make interesting along the way and it's that idea of trying to find something very kind of human and grounding in what is such a you know visually original and interesting concept of just trying to find something that I suppose audience members or people out there that can connect to and for me it was just she's someone who's looking for peace and she's looking for love that she has never kind of experienced before and I just thought that you know if we keep it simple just having that always kind of at the back of your mind therefore any of the obstacles that's kind of thrown at Sue everything kind of becomes a bit more heightened she's you know she's in her head and alone for so much of this series that you know I kind of had to <laughs> create narratively another kind of story that was going on and try and bring out you know also she's she's a she's a soldier and she's escaped you know so so much death in the past that almost it's like catching up on her and it's almost like someone who's kind of reflecting on an entire life that she's led and but you know obviously as a character she doesn't know she's going to die but um yeah it's i don't know it's 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 always interesting with this cuz you're if you kind of overthink it and you overthink what the character's needs and wants are it can kind of get in the way narratively of of what a show like this is and it's so Yeah, it was just finding finding her purpose and finding just that one simple thing and that was that was love and being a protector to this little boy Paul. Uh one of the really interesting dynamics to watch play out this season is Sue's relationship with mother because they kind of form this alliance and this friendship. Um and I already asked Aaron this, so I'm curious what your answer will be. I'm also Who curious that th- Aaron's answer. <laughs> Who do you think has the most to gain and the most to lose in that dynamic? Oh, Sue definitely has the most to lose. Um because she's lost so much already. Actually, do you know what? She's the most to gain. She she has nothing at the start of this. They, all the atheists hate her. The kids all are sick of her because they've spent the last 6 months with her in the wilderness. Paul, she thinks she's going to get back and you know, he he initially rejects her. So, really any like Honestly, if someone had offered Sue a sandwich at the start of that whole season, she would have been happy out. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's funny because me and Amanda, like, 
we had chatted so much about this to begin with because uh, funny because Aaron had kind of he had he had written the scenes between Sue and Mother, but they read on page like these people, like they didn't read as friends. They almost they read as sisters, and it's almost like siblings who don't don't want to be the youngest and they don't you know they don't want to be known as the youngest sister so therefore I won't take your advice and you won't take mine I felt like there was more of a sisterhood than like a friendship because for Sue it's like she understands the idea of loss and losing a child and when she sees almost like these the same things that mother is going through of these of like almost like but she believes you know she's had a miscarriage and so it's almost like trying to explain to your younger sister what that what these kind of adult um, emotions are but also mother has like almost like no filter so she kind of says stuff to Sue directly <laughs> she's right. like the sister you don't want he's like that dress looks awful on you and you're like wow whereas I feel like your best friend would kind of be like I don't know what else what other colors have we got you know right. black is always a good solid choice you know <laughs> And also there was like, you know, there was some scenes that, you know, we shot that that weren't there, but they were, you know, they were really kind of testing their friendship and their alliance a lot more. But, you know, it's it's on, it's always interesting because when you, I don't know, it's, it's always interesting. Like you can never, if, if you're playing a character that's like meant to have like this, they're meant to be best friends and you're, you're kind of forcing friendship, it never works. Whereas if you kind of play the idea of like, I don't know, maybe Sue's jealous of mother, then you, you see chemistry in a different way. And it's, it's almost like I buy that more than buying someone who's actually trying to be someone else's friend. So, yeah, it's, it's, um, there's definitely Sue has this like massive jealousy towards mothers, you know, because mother just kind of swans back into the colony and <laughs> kind of takes over the atheist camp. And she, she's got all the kids, whereas Sue's been looking after them for five months and she doesn't even get a thank you. And then Paul, who she hasn't seen either. And, you know, last time she saw him, he shot her. So it's <laughs> like quite a shift. And uh, yeah, so that's, that I feel like there's more of a, a like a friction, but like when you kind of crack two rocks off each other, you know, sparks fly. So I think those are those where you see like that people like that there is like this underlying understanding of like this womanhood and sisterhood. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, I'm going to shift gears to slightly more philosophical thoughts. Sue becomes this ideological bridge in this show where, particularly in the last couple of episodes, she tells Paul she believes in something, but she also doesn't really know what that is yet. And she seems to believe that it's something that potentially could be explained, right? It could just be an alien. It's something, it's other, but it's, it's, you know, possibly explainable. And so she kind of serves, at least for me as a viewer, she seems like this person that represents that like these two ideologies actually don't have to be in conflict, like they can be reconciled. And I wonder if you ever thought that your character was kind of going to become this very important, you know, pivot point that emerges as this figure of philosophical reconciliation. It's a really good question. I, I, because there was parts of me that always kind of wondered why Sue never had any faith. And I think it's like someone who has seen, like she's a doctor, so she sees death and she understands it's like, you know, <laughs> she knows this, how the body works and how she's, she's, she's logical thinking. 
she's got the sign she's got like a scientist brain in her so that she's always just looking for facts and not like ideas or dreams and so for her she believes in science and medicine but i suppose this is the first time that she has been tested as a mother and you know she's tested significantly whenever paul is going to die and she's been told by a system that she believes in by this you know science behind it by when the science is saying he is going to die that isn't the answer that she wants and so when i think when anyone who's been in a position where they're about to lose a loved one you succumb to seeking help from outside of yourself you succumb to giving up um accepting an answer that you don't want and that for her is 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 turning to Saul and turning to something that's external because she has to in that moment however we all know it comes at a significant price but i think that it's it's really interesting how Aaron how Aaron played that of you know writing the character as someone who's she is the the biggest atheist from beginning of that season 1 to the very end of it and she doesn't budge on it and so I always was really admired of the fact that the character kind of she's almost like the reason of sanity in the script. She is the eyes and ears of the audience. She's the almost like the the outsider, very much the outsider looking in and there's almost like this emotional heartbeat through the story and so it was it was really it was so great reading it and seeing someone who's whose biggest obstacle in it is is her her giving up her her ideology of faith and believing in it and when that when that actually happens it's like i think then for the first time she begins to dream and begins to be able to think outside of what she knows and 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 give that up so was it yeah it's it's um is definitely like shooting that sequence of when she prays it was a tough shoot that day because it's it's just bringing up down to like this is someone who's asking for help because they don't want the person they love the most to die and it's it was a <laughs> for Alex Cabassi was amazing to have as a director that day uh it's extraordinarily powerful because as you say like she is the last character any of us would have anticipated seeing that moment out of so it it has a lot of weight the last scenes of this episode with Paul and Sue and Marcus together reunited as a family are honestly so moving and so sweet um particularly you know the the fact that Paul just asked her to sing to him is so sort of precious and when you watch this do you as a viewer you know have the the distance from it to enjoy seeing this character finally have this sort of famili- familial peace in those moments and like even though you of course know that it it's not going to last do you get to appreciate like well she got she got this evening <laughs> it's an i was so grateful because up to that moment like the character is going through hell emotionally so like I, if i wasn't screaming or shouting in a scene i was crying so to read a scene where you know she's just chilling with the family singing songs um and being happy and that was i think it's I know I think we talked about earlier is like what does the character want and she wanted peace and love. So in that moment she's given that moment. She is given peace and she's given love. And it's a version I suppose of what Sue's heaven would look like. And I think that was really 
beautiful and we you kind of see it of the idea of well we know it's almost like the heaven of what that we imagine as you know humans on our planet but you know if we were talking about Saul and all that it's like this is this character's piece this is this character's um dream of of what heaven is and so yeah I did it was it was actually really sweet to to shoot a because we were in this it's just amazing location and Felix Jamison who plays my son and and Travis Fimmel like the <laughs> like Jay, like the two of them together they're just they're, their chemistry is is brilliant so to just shoot those scenes where neither no one's shouting at each other or crying it was just heaven <laughs> <laughs> uh well it has been absolute heaven to talk to you um Neve, you are an absolute delight on this show it's so compelling to watch you and somehow you managed to make that haircut look good um <laughs> it's it's fantastic so thank you so much both for all you have given us as viewers in the last two seasons and just for spending this time with me Thanks, Holly. It's so nice. And it's the response fans have to this show is is so heartwarming and, and yeah, so so amazing to have been a part of it. I want to once again extend my thanks to Neve for sitting down with me to talk about her really incredible work on this season and for just giving us a performance that I don't think we're ever going to forget it. Join me next week when my guest will be the father of Snake Baby, in a manner of speaking. I will be joined by Ray McIntyre Jr., the visual effects supervisor on Raised by Wolves. I hope you're with me then. Raised by Wolves, the podcast, is a production of HBO Max and iHeartRadio. It's hosted and written by me, Holly Fry. The podcast is produced and edited by Jeff Heimbuck and executive produced by Ethan Fixell, with additional assistance from James Foster. If you haven't already subscribed, rated, or reviewed Raised by Wolves, the podcast, please do so on the iHeartRadio app, HBO Max, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to watch the series itself on HBO Max with new episodes. Episodes available to stream on Thursdays.